Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So let me tell them a little more about you. You're from Chicago. And yes, you graduated um, from the University of Illinois Urbana with bachelor's and master's of science in journalism. Um, you worked and published in, in Black Fox Literary Magazine, 521, Better Than Starbucks. Hmm, that's interesting. The Doors Ajar, 805 Lit Plus Art, The Helix Magazine, Lunch Ticket, and Gay Magazine. Uh, and this is your second novel we're going to be speaking about. Your first novel was called Saving Ruby King. It was published in June 2020. You also have a short story Orion Star. It was featured in the Body Positive Anthology called Everybody Shines, uh, put out by Bloomsbury in May 2021. This book is called The Two Lives of Sarah. Don't we all have two lives? I think I got like three or four, maybe. I don't I know, know, right? How about you? You you know what I'm saying? So um, let's start off with, how come you're not an opera singer? Because I heard you like opera. So why are you not an opera singer and you became a writer? What's up with that? Uh, uh, yeah, so God gives us gifts. Singing wasn't one of mine. Right. <laughs> I'm good in an ensemble. So, you know, if you want to put me in an alto section of a choir, okay. I can bloom it out. But I'm not an opera singer. I mean, you know, my gift is writing. That is what I do. Opera is a passion. I love to see it performed. Um, I've gone to see my favorite opera so far. Uh, La Boheme, uh, Turando, The Barber of Seville. Um, but there are like plenty of others that I want to go see, you know, just, you know, pandemic shut things down. But now the Lyric Opera House opened back up. So I'm super interested in uh, the new uh, new operas that they have and things I haven't heard before. My great grandmother was a fan of the opera. Apparently I got the bug. I don't know. That's what I was. Right. Now, uh, when did you first think you could be a writer like and make money from it? When I was in my my thirties, I mean, like commoditizing art is it, it's this real tight rope to walk. And I always love to write, but yeah, like you know, like I, I love to write, but I have to be able to commoditize it somehow. So that's why I went into journalism. I'm like, I can write, and then I can also help change lives with my stories. And then I found, you know, and I had this idea, like, oh, I'm from Chicago, so like all Chicago journalists like work at the Tribune or the Sun-Times not thinking like, hey, you got to work your way up to that. And to work your way up to it, you got to like work in a lot of small towns, getting paid peanuts before you're able to work up to a major metropolitan newspaper. Right. I didn't really have the, the stamina nor the will to do that. I'm like, I'm not going to live in like a small town in Kansas. No, you know, no harm to Kansas or anything like that. <laughs> but that just wasn't something I was willing to do. So I pivoted into public relations and I now work as a newswire editor because I mean, like I need something to be able to sustain me. So I would just edit press releases and just be like, oh, you know, OK, fine. But, you know, I make this money. So I'm able to travel. I bought a home. I'm you know, able to do like a lot of the things I want to go to the opera, go to plays, do all of this stuff. 
And then when I was in my 30s, I was like, mm, you know, I still have the writing, you know, bug. You know, I always wrote here and there. But yeah. I started writing short stories. And um, then I was talking to a friend who was like, oh, you know, I have an idea for a short story. She says, you should make that a book. And I'm thinking, oh, well, I got like two degrees in journalism. Like, that'll be so easy. Like, I can write a book and like. It was the stupidest thing I ever told myself. And I've told myself some stupid stuff, right? So, so I wound up, uh, it took me five years to write Saving Ruby King. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of innocence. It was the age I was going to pull my hair out. Um, it was it was, it was crazy. Oh, what would you tell other writers when they're doing their first book to avoid? What would you tell them to avoid? And what would you tell them to dive deeper into? Great question, uh, Joy. I would tell them to embrace the madness, like embrace the crazy and just get that first draft out. Um, Don't make the mistake I did. Like I said, I'm an editor. So I already have a stick up my behind about like perfection. So it was very much me trying to perfect every line, every sentence, every paragraph. And it would take me way too long to get through chapters and all of that stuff. Not, not, not to my, you know, not, never, you know, to also say like the first draft is always garbage. Like I did the best I could with my first draft. And it was like still when I go back i was like oh it was hot gosh right so just embrace the madness <laughs> know that your first draft is just you're getting the story out and then the subsequent drafts so when you perfect uh you know character motivation and arc and dialogue and description and everything like that so you know for first time writer just get it out don't worry about perfection that first go round mm-hmm. and and use your subsequent drafts to um to to you know perfect and and to poly not perfect polish because you know it's never going to be perfect in your eyes right so just use your when do you stop that editing process when do you also put your foot down maybe to your publisher and say no i want to keep that i want to um not let that go when do you do that um so in terms of when do i stop the editing process i just take a big deep breath and i'm like okay am i over perfecting things you have to ask yourself that question like have i done something that needs to be like done or did i do something just because you know like i should have said there versus there or this isn't present tense like you know what i mean you have to what what are you trying to perfect mm-hmm. if it's just like minutia you're pretty much done send it to your you know to your agent to your to your editor when you start you know going going over one version of there versus there. I mean, well, use the right version of there, there, there. But um, you know what I mean? But like when you start haggling over minutia, you're doing too much. Send it to your editor. And in terms of when to put your foot down, it it it's not like um like an antagonistic thing. At least for me it wasn't. Um there were definitely things where I said, Well, you know, I'm not trying to adjust this or I don't want to adjust this because a, it wasn't, you know, correct to the time or B, this is something that this person would have said because this is our culture to say this. Like there was, I think, like a part at the beginning when Mama Sugar was scratching her hand. She said, I must got some money coming in. Yeah. Now we all yeah, so we know this. This is part of our culture. Right. But I don't think it was like, you know, um, publishing is predominantly white. So they're like, I don't understand this. Well, it doesn't matter if you understand it, but I would like for you to keep it in. Yeah. You know what I mean? So now let's talk about a book when you were younger you liked and you thought was really cool. And maybe you've read it more than once. What's that book? 
Uh, Great Expectations by Charles Dickens. Mm, and what's your favorite part about that? When you find out who Pip's benefactor really is. <laughs> I had, you know, I'm going around with my smug 12-year-old, but being like, oh, it's Miss Haversham. We all know it's her because she likes to play mind games with Pep. It's Miss Haversham. Mm, okay. Mm. Right? And you found out it was the convict? Like, to shock my modesty when I tell you I killed over. And I was like, no! It was the convict. Oh, my God. Like, I legit talked to my mom. And my mom is a uh, is a retired principal and reading English literature teacher. My poor mom. I was like, I talked to her off about it for like a solid month, month and a half well, about this book. People are going to talk somebody's ear off about the two lives of Sarah because there's a big surprise in there. Okay? And I yeah, there, like, yep, there are a couple. There are a couple. She said, what? Wait a second. Let me. No, no, no. Because I was listening to audio and I was like, wait, let me go to the book because I got the book too. I said, wait, what did she just say? And she called him. Oh, oh, I did. <laughs> There's a moment in your book. Let me tell you, audience, you will have this feeling. OK, let's talk about the two lives of Sarah. What is this book about? Uh, to Just a small synopsis. What's the book about? Well, the two lives of Sarah is uh, a, a companion novel to Saving Ruby King. You don't need to read them together, although by both books. But, um, you know, you don't need to have read one to, to understand the other. But The Two Lives of Sarah um, is about Sarah King, who goes from Chicago to Memphis with a lot of secrets and a lot of baggage uh, of the emotional brand to a place called the Scarlet Poplar, uh, which is a boarding house for Black travelers in the early 1960s in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, and she's, you know, uh, she, she learns about love, family, loss, uh, the limits of resilience, and, you know, trying to make peace with the things that have happened to her in order to move forward. But, you know, will she be able to do that? I uh, really loved this book. I really got to do a deep dive um, into like a lot of history um, because it's like the first historical fiction yeah. book I wrote. Yeah, like Saving Ruby King was contemporary fiction. The Two Lives of Sarah is historical fiction. And uh, there are a lot of secrets uh, that are revealed and uh, a lot of things you can learn about yourself through Sarah. So I really hope people love it there's the issue of what is a woman's place is brought up and what is a mother's place what do you think a mother's job is in raising kids well i'm not a mom yet no, um your, but your <laughs> but uh but i i always feel like a mom job or at least what my mom did or what i would see my grandma and see my aunts do their job was always to 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 love to nurture, but it was a tough kind of nurture because when you're raising black children in America, like there's some lessons you got to teach your kids that other kids don't need to be taught. Right. So a lot of times it was like this almost rough around the edges kind of teaching, um, but it was teaching that was needed, right? Mm -hmm. um, it was teaching that was, you know, listened to and internalized. And I mean, to this day, I mean, like, do moms make mistakes? Yeah, my mom made mistakes. My grandma made mistakes. My aunties make mistakes. But the one thing, me, my cousins, my brother, one thing we never doubted ever was how much we were loved. 
Right. So I think no matter what, you know, being a mom, you know, you're nobody's perfect. You're going to make mistakes being a parent. Just as long as your kids know how much they're loved, it really can get you through like the ups and downs of, you know, parenthood and childhood. At least that's what I've learned as a child. As a parent, I might just be like, I don't know what, you know, I mean, I make sure that they fed. I don't think that they're going to have to go to a therapist. I've done my job. So, you know, so, you know, we'll see. I, I, you know, with me, I don't know. But that's what I've learned, you know, about the parent-child relationship so far, Um, you know, from my mom. And like I said, my aunt and my grandma. Do you remember the first secret you kept from your parents? You don't have to tell us, but how did it make you feel carrying that secret around? I can tell you the first secret I kept from my parents. I uh, I read romance novels at 10 and I would keep them in uh, my bottom drawer, like where I kept, you know, like my my slip and my underwear and all of that stuff. It was like the first secret I kept from my parents. Because it was just like you 10 going on 11, you you feeling a lot of things and, and you're like, hmm, why does this do with all the rippling muscles make me feel some kind of way? You know, and, and, and this is the thing. I would always just naughty parts. Nobody had to tell me to do that. I just did it. Yeah. Right? Like, it was it was crazy. Like, listen. <laughs> that, that was, like, the first secret I think I, like, really kept from my parents. Um, so, my mom probably knew anyway, but you know, that's the first secret I can remember. This is not really related to the book, but it is because your book has the issue of abuse in it. Did your parents have the birds and bees conversation with you? And if so, when did they have it? And what did they tell you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I was nine. And um, my mom broke it down for me in a very age appropriate way. There wasn't um, a lot of secrets and we don't talk about that like my mom was super open like you can and my grandma was super open. She was she was more uh colorful like a little more colorful with her language mm -hmm. but like there weren't any secrets because like we were a pretty free open household and family mm -hmm. so there wasn't anything that I didn't really get into it was it was just like you know you're not supposed to be doing something like when, when you that when, when you that age like you know it's not appropriate for you to read these books but you like hmm. right but it was like a pretty open house so there really wasn't anything if I had a question my you know my mom still says I'm like mom can I ask you something she always says you can ask me anything and she means it I literally can ask her anything you know, so it was yes you're very like that because a lot of people don't have that a lot yeah i know I, I recognized that once i got old i was like oh because i asked my mom about this she would just tell me a b c d e f and g you know what i mean and then it would make sense with the stuff that i would hear like you know on the playground i'd be like oh that's what okay well that's what they talk about you know mm -hmm. and i felt that it really helped me in a lot of ways because if there was i knew that if something ever went down i could like go to my mom and just be like hey this happened or this happened or i'm not sure about this or how do I deal with this? Because, you know, like, even though I was brought up in the church, my mom, my mom is very no nonsense. Right. So she's like, look, it's this, it's this, it's this or it's this. So you make the determination. Like, you know, I'm an influence, but I'm not your only influence. It's something that she really still loves to say to my brother and myself. And I'm like, well, you know, we're in our 40s. So no, you're not our only influence, but you are heavy influence when it comes to this. Now, in the book, there's a lot of trauma going on and uh, as African Americans we deal with a lot of trauma on different levels in relationships um, from society uh, from the macro level of the government how do you think we as a culture can deal with this trauma 
because your character, I would, there, there's several characters in your book that go into a negative space. You know, I don't, I don't want to give too much away, but the, the, several of them go into a negative space. Drinking, drugs, violence, um, staying in bad relationships. How do you think we as a culture can handle the trauma? What should we be doing? Should we get my more massages? Should we go to get therapy? Uh, should we be talking to our girlfriends? Go to church? What's your what's your solution, you think? Um, if I had the solution, I'd have, I'd be bottling and bottling it up and giving it to, you know, our community, um, our culture. But for me, I, I think the theme in both of my books, and I think a thing throughout all of my books, will be to just talk, to tell your truth. You know, and and saving Ruby King, it's kind of it's this theme of the truth will make you free. Like if you just talk about your truth, tell your story as a black woman or a black man, there's not a lot that can be taken from you. Like the the weight of secrets in and of themselves are an extremely heavy load to carry. Why would you want to carry that load by yourself? Yeah. Right. So for me, I kind of think that talking or therapy or however it is you need to unload or unburden yourself, that's what needs to be, that's what needs to be done. And then in doing that, finding a constructive way of processing that trauma. I think that, you know, we have very destructive ways of processing trauma and we need more constructive outlets, you know, be it art programs or STEM programs or, you know, like I said, talk therapy, um, any, you know, what, you know, kind of, you know, whatever works, group therapy to like kind of just get all of it out and figure out how to process all of these emotions we Maybe feeling because emotions in and of themselves when we're processing trauma are, are very intense and can sometimes be very ugly and some people just don't want to deal with it so you know they drink too much or they do drugs or you know they decide to you know go out and just you know do whatever it is to their bodies so they don't have to feel the pain of what it is they were feeling when you know yeah. these different traumas and stuff happened to them so I just feel like speaking your truth is the best way and then finding a constructive way to process that truth and process that trauma um to, can, and and it's the best way to do that you know your book made me hungry right okay like the book made me hungry like people let me just tell That's you, what I hear. you know That's what I hear. don't be trying to read this book i'm just gonna tell you right now she got pancakes she got sausage she got mashed potatoes she got peach cobble up in here i'm like she got uh Salmon patties, turnip greens, pineapple upside down cake, uh, pound cake, caramel cake. Caramel cake. I said, God damn it. I couldn't even, I need to get some ice cream. I ain't gonna keep it. No, I joke and say that this this book is like 1,500 calories at least, just reading it. At least, minimum. What's your favorite um, dessert? Do you have a favorite dessert? Uh, I go through stages right now with banana pudding. Okay. And can you make it or you go somewhere and buy it? How do you get it? Oh, I buy it. Um, okay. An elder she passed. Her name was uh, uh, 
Elder uh, Evangelist Georgia Grayson make the best banana pudding. And my Auntie Catherine make the best potato salad. Sister Nan in my church makes the best pineapple coconut cake ever. And she's still here with us. So I'm just, you know, whenever we have like, you know, a church cookout, I'm just like, where's the pineapple coconut cake? <laughs> <laughs> my mom makes like chocolate walnut cake. It used to be like this Texas sheet cake. Oh my God. But she transformed the recipe. And now it's like a cho- chocolate, uh, you know, chocolate walnut cake. I've seen pastors fight over this cake. I'm not playing. Like, Dr. Catherine, does she need another daughter? Because I, I, I can help with the uh, chocolate walnut cake. I, I can- See, people say that, but you don't know how labor intensive it is. It takes her like two hours to prep and prepare and get it done. People say like, oh, yeah, like my mom isn't one of those. No, it's a family secret. She'll write out these and the ingredients and these are the steps. And she's not one of those people who will write that out and not give you the whole, you know, because, you know, some of them, you know, no, my mom will be like, okay, these are the ingredients. These are all the steps. And when you look at everything that she does, nobody attempts it. Everybody is like, nah, you go ahead and do it. God bless you. You know what I mean? Because like she'll do, she'll she'll write out the stuff. It's just like really labor intensive. I don't even do that. I do cookies. Like I make really good cookies. Oh, uh, what kind of cookies? I call them kitchen sink cookies, but like I can make oatmeal raisin cookies and chocolate chip cookies. But the ones that I'm known for call kitchen sink cookies, and they have like chocolate chips, coconut, toffee, and pecans mm-hmm. in them. Okay. Now somebody had a question here. Let me see. Is Jonas in this book? Wasn't that the name of the bow and saving Ruby King? Should we tell them yes or no? What do you think? Okay, no, no, no. Um, yeah, Joan, like at the end of Saving Ruby King, Sarah talks about her time in Memphis. She mentions Jonas. Oh, okay. that's exactly who, you know, we're supposed to be talking about. The, that's exactly who you're supposed to be meeting. And the two lives of Sarah is Jonas. Yes. If you look, Sarah mentions Jonas. I mean, I had to keep the same name. Otherwise, they'd be like, who who's Walter? <laughs> <laughs> she was talking about a Jonas, so, you know, um, somebody was I can't read the, the name here. They're the one who had the question. I hope they I hope they're still on. But um, do you you have the book? Would you mind reading a little bit from the book? Uh, sure. Yeah. Let me see. Let me see here. Yes. Now my eyes are kind of tired, so I wasn't prepared to read. But let me see what I can do. Uh. You know what? I, I think I can do you one better because I have it on my computer and I can. Oh, make the font bigger. Yeah, I can make the font bigger because my eye between having to edit at work and read, uh, my eyes get so tired. Well, so, what so tired. talked about in the book is grief. And um, I don't think we talk about death as a, as a, like humans. It's something we don't want to talk about. We don't want to think about. Um, do you remember your first funeral that you had to go to? Uh, yeah, I do. I was ten, and it was a pastor in my church who I viewed as a as a as a grandfather figure. I personally don't like talking about death. I never really have. So the the way that I do it uh, in a in a healthy way is through my is through my books. Um, I think that you know, for some people, you know, like in the. Uh, and, and Black Panther, where, you know, T'Challa, Chadwick Boseman, God rest him, 
says, you know, uh, you know, death is only the beginning. No, I think that was no, that was in um, Captain America Civil War where <laughs> King Kachaka had just died. And he said, you know, we believe that, you know, death is only the beginning, you know, um, and, you know, that it's not the end. Um, and, you know, I definitely think of it that way. Also, I'm a Christian. So, you know, uh, you know, as I said, we definitely view death as um, almost a, 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 I don't want to say a prize, but a reward. Yeah, that's what it is. Like a reward for having endured life on this particular uh, earth. So that's, you know, kind of the way I try to look at death. But at the same time, I very much, um, I very much still grapple with that and grapple with the people who I love and who have left. And, and, uh, you know, my book, as I said, is kind of a way for me to deal with that or my books are with me to like really deal with it or process it. You know, like I was talking about trauma and having a good, uh, uh, you know, a a proper way to, to, to process trauma and grief. I, for me, that's like the proper way to, uh, process, you know, trauma and grief. So that's just, that's just me. Um, do you want to pass on the reading? We can we can talk about something else and wrap up. Oh no, I found it. Okay, here we go. All right. Whew, sorry about that. Okay. Naomi said, you'd likely be arriving today. Come on in, sweetheart, she says. The night's so ungodly dark, I wonder if I'm still dreaming on a bus southbound from Memphis. But the warmth of her hands on mine signals I'm awake. Most folks around here call me Mama Sugar. Don't ask me where the name came from. The scarlet poplar smells of melted butter, bread, saffron, and the bodies of hardworking men. On each side of the large white wooden door, Mama Sugar opens three windows to channel whatever meager coolness the now falling rain creates. So, you're Sarah, am I right? You like to be called by anything other than that? No, ma'am. I remain on the threshold. To my left, the living room, and in front of me are stairs. And to my right, a small hallway leading to a large kitchen at the back of the house. There's a weak rumble of thunder. Well, what my niece Naomi call you back home? Or your mama? Your daddy? Sarah. Everyone calls me Sarah. Suppose people will call you what makes them feel good and right in themselves. So you just Sarah, in and out. I like that. Means there's no pretense to you. I squeeze the handle of my suitcase and move toward the stairs. Should I find an empty room or do you have a preference where I stay? Mama Sugar turns off two matching amber-colored lamps in the living room, then takes my turquoise suitcase and heads up the stairs. I reckon people see me as a sweet soul. That's why they call me Sugar. But people don't be knowing you as well as they think they do. And I don't see myself that way. Truth between us, I ain't all that accommodating except when I got to be for these borders. Can always be nice and friendly when you're running a business in Memphis. Sometimes you got to make them calls. Be sour as a lemon. She laughs. Anyway, my husband, Vanellis, you going to meet him tomorrow, likely. He called me Lenny May, my God-given name. Well, him and a few others call me that, she rambles. Mama Sugar pauses on the step, raising her arm and wiping her brow. She picks up my suitcase again. Said all of that to say, makes no never mind to me which name is used. I answer to both. Now, if you have to go to Mars, what are the three things you're going to take with you? My family. Mars won't be half, you know, half as lonely and desolate. <clears throat> At this point, uh, banana pudding. Um, and all this hodge, yeah. If, so. you, if you had a superpower, what would it be? 
I'll be like Professor X, make people do what I want to do just by making them do it with my mind. That's easy. Okay. I have to think about control. So, well, the editor, remember, the editor comes out in you. <laughs> yeah, super, super. You know what, Joycey? Yeah. Uh, if you had $100, <laughs> $100? Oh, I spent it on a steak dinner at Gibson's. Oh, okay, okay. And, and that, you know, I mean, and I would barely have enough for the steak dinner and the potato. I would have to drink some water, but I could get a steak steak dinner at Gibson's. <laughs> Medium rare, lightly peppercorn, ribeye, uh, and a double baked potato with Vermont cheddar. Awesome. See, food again, Catherine, food again. Oh my god. Well, you know, I'm one of them salad eating chicks. No. So. Oh, I like steak every <laughs> once in a while. We have Chris Steakhouse here in Philadelphia. That's a really place to get steak if you ever come to Philadelphia. Uh, and um, in terms of desserts and different things uh, and brunch type, Sabrina's in Philadelphia. Last question. You talked about travel. Where's your favorite place to go and why? Oh, man. I've been everywhere, where I've been everywhere. Oh, like, you ask me to be between kids, because it's like Paris got it, got it, Rome got it, Florence got it. Um, I love LA. I love Vegas. You don't make me choose. I mean, Hawaii was bomb, too. Gamble, or are you going to see shows? What you doing in Vegas? Or it you know what? I only I, I I don't really gamble. Like um, the last time I took uh, last time I went to Vegas was in June, and I took my dad. I've taken my mom, my dad, and my brother to Vegas. Okay, and uh, we we go see shows and we eat. Like when you know when we gamble, it's literally like here's ten dollars. We'll go on slots and then lose our money and then we go. Like I don't go to ga- Vegas for the gambling. I go for the shows. For the food. Okay. But if I have to pick, I'm going to pick Paris. If I have to pick, if you're going like, you're going to force me, then I'll pick Paris. Um, I have very fond memories. Um, it was one of the first places I went back to and I took my mom and she and I went and we had like a blast. And we like, you know, you know, gang a little couple pounds, you know, like it was wonderful. But then when we went to Rome, we, and we ate, we ate, like we literally had gelato every day. We actually lost weight because we had to like, we was like walking back and forth. You walk in Paris, but not like walking. No, not like, I went to Florence. And let me tell you, real quick, funny story. I went to this gelato store with my girlfriend. She lived there. And we went to get some gelato. And they gave us, like, this huge waffle cone and, like, stacked it up with, like, three or, you know, four scoops or whatever. It was, like, 20 bucks. We didn't know the price. We had no idea. Her her fiance died laughing at us. He said, you spent 20 bucks on a freaking ice cream cone? Now, see, this is the thing when, okay, so mom and I went to Florence, um, but we was like a day trip to Florence, but we were in Rome and next to our hotel was a gelateria. Um, and they, they knew us because we, when I say we're there every day, sometimes multiple times a day. <laughs> and by the end, by the end, like my mom somehow adopts whatever accent, wherever we go to, because my mom was my travel buddy. See? So, you know, she, she's going to, to all the places, Vegas, Rome, L.A., Paris, yeah. um, Honolulu. Portugal. Go to Lisbon in Portugal. Um, there's some beautiful castles there. Um, uh, Madrid is great, but Portugal was a really nice trip. I took there. Catherine, I got to let you go, honey. But tell mom, hi, I'm coming by to get the, uh, the chocolate walnut cake. I'm up for adoption. 
that's a secret between you and I. Nobody that you just told a bunch of people, but it's a secret. But okay, cool, Joy. No problem. I appreciate you. I don't want to tell my mom because I don't want her to get upset. Like, why is she trying to go for adoption? You know. Um, uh, <laughs> all right. I will talk to you later. Thank you so much. I'm gonna give away some copies of your book. People can follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Again, Facebook Saturday mornings with Joy Keys. Here on Instagram, the show comes on Blog Talk Radio, but you can listen to it on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Google, Audible, uh, uh, and many other places where you get your podcasts. I'm going to put the audio of our chat today on those spots. It'll be up by tomorrow, and people can listen to what we were talking about today. Thank you, thank you, and thank you. Again, I'm going to give away some copies. I'll, people got to follow me on social media to find out how you can get the giveaway, okay? Chocolate walnut cake for life, baby. I got you, Joy. I got you. <laughs> I'll talk to you right. later. Bye-bye. Yes, you will. Bye-bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.